Heavenly Father, even as Todd mentioned, it has been a very difficult day. It's been a very dark day. And yet, even as we have just sung, your mercies are new every morning. And even tomorrow morning, we will wake up and we will have the mercy for another day. The grace of our God. You are not less in control today than you were yesterday, and you will be tomorrow. You're a faithful God. And it's that faithfulness, it's that hope that gives us hope for tomorrow, that gives us hope for today. And so even as we just sang, we will keep heart because of your mercies anew, because of who you are. Even as we turn our attention this evening to Psalm 52, and we see that you're not just a gracious God, a merciful God, but you're a just God, may we find comfort in the justice of God, even on a day like today. We pray that you would be honored in all that is said and done this evening. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 52. I'm going to start by reading the inscription that goes with the psalm. It helps to set the the context. It's important for us to understand the rest of the psalm. It says, Psalm 52, To the chief musician, a contemplation of David, when Doag the Edomite went and told Saul and said to him, David has gone to the house of Ahimelech. Why do you boast in evil, O mighty man? The goodness of God endures continually. Your tongue devises destruction, like a sharp razor working deceitfully. You love evil more than good, lying rather than speaking righteousness. Selah. You love all devouring words, you deceitful tongue. God shall likewise destroy you forever. He shall take you away and pluck you out of your dwelling place and uproot you from the land of the living. Selah. The righteous also shall see and fear, and shall laugh at him, saying, Here is the man who did not make God his strength, but trusted in the abundance of his riches, and strengthened himself in his wickedness. But I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the mercy of God forever and ever. I will praise you forever, because you have done it. And in the presence of your saints, I will wait on your name, for it is good. As we read there at the beginning, the context behind Psalm 52 is very specific. We know the historical setting of Psalm 52. We know the specific incident and the specific people to which it is addressed. In fact, there's one person specifically that David is addressing here in Psalm 52, and it is Doeg the Edomite. Doeg the Edomite. We see the story that's going on here in Psalm 52, the thing that is on David's heart, the thing that David is addressing. We find the story in 1 Samuel 21 and 22. 1 Samuel 21 and 22 probably a familiar story to many of you. David, on the run from Saul, comes to the city of Nob and to the priest Ahimelech. 
David comes in and he, he tricks Ahimelech and the other priests to, to feed him and to arm him for war. They give him the holy bread. They give him the sword of Goliath. But David has to trick them to get them to do this. In fact, when he comes in in the story, they say, why are you alone? What is going on? They, 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 they see that this is different than other times David has come. Something must be going on. And David tricks them. He says, no, I'm, I'm on official business. So David goes on. This deed, this trading between David and the priest, between David and Ahimelech, is observed by Doeg the Edomite. He's a servant of Saul. And so he runs and he reports to Saul. This priest in this city has armed your enemy. He has fed your enemy. He's rebelled against you. Saul calls the priests, Ahimelech, and the other priests to himself. And he confronts them. And he says, why have you done this? And Ahimelech makes his case. I, I had no idea. I didn't know. But Saul orders all the priests killed. And in fact, when he orders that, his soldiers who are there won't do it. And so then Saul orders Doeg, who has reported this news to him, to kill them all. And Doeg does. And in fact, in that day, 1 Samuel 22, 18-19 tells us that Doeg killed 85 priests. And then he went on and he killed every woman, every child, and every beast in the city of Nob because of, the, because of their supposed support of David. This is a travesty that has happened. This is injustice. This is wrong. These people were innocent. In fact, what is worse is that Doeg was there when this went on. He knew the real story. He knew that David had tricked him. He saw that. And yet he was more interested in building his own rapport with the king. And so he goes and he lies. come to the end of 1 Samuel 21. In fact, I'm going to read it. 1 Samuel 21. Verses 20 to I'm sorry, it's 1 Samuel 22. We see David's response. 1 Samuel 22, verses 20 to 23. Now one of the sons of Ahimelech, the son of Ahatub, named Abathar, escaped and fled after David. I should have read these. I should have got these names down ahead of time. <laughs> um, and Abathar told David and Saul, told David that Saul had killed the Lord's priests. So David said to Abathar, I knew that day when Doeg the Edomite was there, that he would surely tell Saul, I have caused the death of all the persons of your father's house. Stay with me, do not fear. For he who seeks my life seeks your life, but with me you shall be safe. There in those verses we see David's immediate response to this news, this travesty that has been done, this injustice. And then Psalm 52 
we get David's thoughts. Now, as you work your way through this, in verses 1 to 3, you see Doeg's deceitfulness. You see verses 4 to 5, Doeg's destruction. And then verses 6 to 9, the hope of the righteous. Starts out in verse 1, why do you boast in your evil, O mighty man? We know exactly who that mighty man is to which David refers, do we not? It is Doeg. It is the one who has done this evil. And not only has he done it, but he is proud of it. He boasts of it. Look what I have done. I have slain all of them. I have, I have grown in, in the king's view. I am rich. Look what I have done. I am a great man. But why do you boast in evil, O mighty man? What's interesting is this next line, the goodness of God endures continually. How does David see the goodness of God and what has happened here? How can David say, you, you evil man, how can you boast in this wickedness and uh, this injustice that you have done? And then in that very same verse, say, God is good. The goodness of God endures continually. It's because David has the proper perspective. David has an eternal perspective. Spurgeon says this, The tyrant's fury cannot dry up the perennial stream of divine mercy. If priests be slain, their master lives. If Doeg for a while triumphs, the Lord will outlive him, and he will right the wrongs that he has done. This ought to modify the proud exultations of the wicked, for after all, while the Lord liveth, iniquity has little cause to exalt itself. David has that perspective. David sees that even though this mighty evil has been done, God lives and God is good and he is still in control and justice will be done. done. We see that right here from the beginning. As David first mentions what has happened, he right there affirms the goodness of God endures even still. He goes on, Your tongue devises destruction like a sharp razor working deceitfully. You are a liar. You have made this up. You were there. You saw. You heard what went on. You know good and well that these priests, that these people that you have murdered, you know they were innocent. But you devised destruction. You worked deceitfully. You love evil more than good. Not only was it evil what you did, you enjoyed doing it. You enjoyed lying rather than speaking righteousness. Here we see the evilness of Doeg's heart. As you go on to verses 4 and 5, though, you see Doeg's destruction. You, Doeg, love all devouring words. You deceitful tongue. You are a wicked man. But God shall likewise destroy you forever. Likewise, in the same manner in which you destroyed all of those in the city of Nob, All those who are innocent, in the same way that you slayed those 85 priests, God will likewise destroy you. He will take you away and pluck you out of your dwelling place and uproot you from the land of the living. You will face the righteousness, the holiness, the justice of God. You may have escaped punishment here, 
Saul may let you off. Saul may even reward you. But you will not get away from God. He sees. He knows. The unrighteous will be cast from the presence of God, likewise destroyed forever, uprooted from the land of the living. When you come to verses 6 to 9, we've seen Doeg's deceitfulness. He is a wicked man. We've seen his promised destruction. Maybe not in this life, but eventually, God will win. And in verses 6 to 9, David then turns the focus to the hope of the righteous. Contrasted with Doeg and the unrighteous, those will be cast from the presence of God. In verses 6 to 9, we see the hope of the righteous. The righteous also shall see and fear and shall laugh at him. Saying, here is the man who did not make God his strength, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and strength, strengthened himself in his wickedness. The righteous shall sit by and they shall watch as justice comes. They will see and they will fear. They will see God's punishment and they will fear the Lord. They will laugh at him. You've probably heard the phrase, who is laughing now? We use that a lot of times when when someone laughs at someone and then the tables are turned. And that person will say, well, who's laughing now? There's a little bit of joy in saying that to someone. Maybe it's, it shouldn't have joy, but I enjoy that. You, know? you can put it back in there. That's what you get for laughing at me. Who's laughing now? That's what David says here. There will come a time when the righteous will say, who is laughing now? You destroyed my family. You lied. You worked wickedness. The day of judgment is coming. You will not get away with it. Those who find themselves at this life crying at the injustice will one day laugh and rejoice at true justice. This is the man who did not make God his strength. He trusted in his riches and look where it got him. He strengthened himself in wickedness and look where it got him. Verse 8, But I, I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. Unlike Doeg and the unrighteous, those who trust in the Lord are secure. They are prosperous. Like a green olive tree in the house of God. In fact, notice the security that David is taking comfort in here. He's not looking at a moment. He's looking, he has an eternal perspective. I trust in the mercy of God forever and ever. I will praise you forever. David is looking beyond the immediate circumstances that he finds himself in, the immediate circumstances that would fill his heart with fear. He looks beyond those to a greater circumstance, to an eternal perspective. He sees a God who's in control, not just of this immediate moment, but of all eternity. He sees a God who's accomplishing his purposes, not just in David, but even in Israel. 
in the world. And it is that God in whom David chooses to trust, unlike Doeg, who put his trust in his riches, who put his trust in his deceitfulness. David puts his trust in the Lord. He trusts in the mercy of God forever and ever. I will praise you forever because you have done it. In the presence of your saints, I will wait on your name for it is good. And like Doeg and the unrighteous who are cast from the presence of the Lord, David and the righteous are in the presence of the Lord forever. The point of Psalm 52 is this, that God is coming and justice will be done. We live in a sinful world. We live in an unfair world, an unjust world. But there's coming a day when all that is wrong will be righted. There's coming a day when justice will come rolling down. And therefore, like David, even in the midst of circumstances that are painful, even in the midst of circumstances that are unfair, that are hard, Circumstances that we may not understand. Circumstances that seem completely out of control. Even then, the faithful can wait patiently for God. Even in the midst of gross injustice. Because God is faithful. Because God is coming. And because justice will be done. Do you trust God enough to wait for him? It's a lot easier to say than it is to do, is it not? We see injustice around us. We want to take action now. And that's not to say if God has given you means to act, you shouldn't act. That's not to say you should just give up and sit back and wait. But trust God. Trust him enough to be patient. Don't lose hope in God because your circumstances don't make sense to you. They don't have to make sense to you. God knows what he's doing. Do you trust God enough to wait on him? Another way to put it could be as we see in Romans 12, 9. Leave vengeance to the wrath of God because vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Wait on him. He is just. And his justice is coming. The justice of God can be a terrible thing, but for those of us who are in Christ, it's a beautiful thing. All that is wrong will be made right. In Christ, we don't face condemnation. But justice is coming. Psalm 52 could be boiled down to just one little sentence. It'd probably be something like this. God is just and God is coming. Therefore, wait patiently. God is just and God is coming. Therefore, those of us who are in Christ can wait patiently, regardless of the circumstances in which we find ourselves. As already been mentioned, we find ourselves in some pretty 
crazy circumstances today. Saw things on TV today I never thought I'd see in my lifetime. We're in a much different place now than we thought we'd be a year ago. And God is no less in control today than he was a year ago. He knows what he's doing. He's on his throne. And Christ is coming again. Therefore, we can wait. We can trust. We can hope. And we will. We will, regardless of circumstances.